I want God's word to you to reflect that, that whatever you have, he's enough for that. In a few minutes, we'll start in Psalm 91. So you can make your way there. You can also take advantage of you version that has our scriptures and notes preloaded. So my first sermon was, I think I was like 14. I may have been 13, but my youth pastor asked me to preach. And some of you know, know this guy. He's one of our overseers, John McKenzie. He said, Hey, Aaron, I want you to preach. And it was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, not eight days before Thanksgiving. That's what we consider the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Now, this was the night before Thanksgiving. And Pastor John, my long, long-term mentor, scheduled me to preach for the first time, and then he left town. So I was stuck with a non-friendly crowd. It, you know, back in the late 80s, we actually had church the night before Thanksgiving, but these teenagers were among those who had to be there, and they were a captive audience, and I was one of their peers, and so, but I worked really hard on that sermon, and, and, and I, you know, it was a big deal. I got out of school early. I prayed all afternoon, did all that stuff. I took it very seriously. And the sermon was very, very fast. I mean, I thought it would be a 30-minute sermon. It was like a five-minute sermon. I know some of you can't believe that after hearing me preach all these years. It's like a five-minute sermon, and, and the rate of my speaking was very rapid. Uh, the name of the church was Calvary Temple, and, and that's part of the story. I want you to remember that. You know, I spoke fast, but, but I thought some good things occurred or happened during the sermon. So when I got done, one of the youth staff um, came up to me and said, hey, I just want you to know this is not the Calvary Temple speed reading contest. And I was like, wow. My initial reaction was, I went from thinking, hey, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. It went by faster than I thought. And then the first comment I heard was derogatory and and it it hurt. I mean, it it stunned me initially, but there was another youth staff who was listening and he he was listening and his name was Wadi and Wadi was in Bible college and he was listening and he came up to me. He said, don't listen to that guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He said, I'm in Bible college and I just got an A in, in practicing my sermon and you blew me away. You're a whole lot better than I am. And then all of a sudden, I thought, okay, I can do this. And from that point forward, you know, I've been preaching God's word. Isn't it amazing how when we're in vulnerable times like that, how one word can take us down a path of, you know, where we're, a path we're not supposed to be on, and then one other word can put us on the right path. What I want you to hear from the Lord through this sermon is you have what it takes. You have enough. You need to hear that from me, and you you need to hear that. You have enough for what you're facing. Whatever challenge is in front of you, whatever seems impossible, Whatever limitation has been identified, you have enough to overcome it. And you have enough because he's enough. That's what you need to hear. You have enough because he is enough. Should I switch to the other microphone? Because I hear feedback. So last week we started this sermon, and here's the first two things that I shared with you. 
First of all, you were designed. You can go back and listen to this or watch this. And second of all, you are purchased. These are defining scriptures that that are just good to be reminded of and good to sit in and good to receive that God's designed you the way you, the way you are. We talked about how, what we call handicaps, God calls opportunities and he's not limited by those. We talked about the fact that we were purchased. Here's my third point today. You are equipped and empowered. You are equipped and empowered. Have you ever been given a job that you weren't trained for? It's really a cruel thing that we do. You know, sometimes as managers, you know, we, we fill a spot, we fill a role, but we don't prepare people for that role. Or sometimes preparation is doing, right? We prepare by doing. That's how most of us learn. That's how I learn. I learn by doing, but with the security of someone alongside me to guide me, to reassure me, to keep me from making a mistake, I, I, I parked cars at this expensive restaurant, and, you know, I was only 16 years old, and you had to be 21 and over or 18 or over. I talked them into, man, I had no business parking cars that I'd never driven before, expensive cars. So that job only lasted three days, you know. Uh, <laughs> and it almost cost me a lot of money, too, because you were supposed to pay the deduct. You had to pay the deductible if you had a wreck. And uh, I remember God, stop. Stop. You're going to wreck a, it was a very expensive Mercedes. I almost wrecked. Um, and so, yeah, I wasn't prepared for that job and uh, that just came to mind. It wasn't in the note. So there you go. Extra credit 9am, but you've all been in the situations like, like where you've been, you've been given an assignment, you've been given a job, but you know, you're going to fail before you even start. Hey, that's not the way with the Lord. I want you to hear this today. There, there are things that you feel like you're not good enough for, but if God's called you to those things, you, you can do it. You can do it because he's with you. He's with you. And that's what I'm here to remind you of this morning. He is with you. Some of you got a tough season ahead of you and you know it. It's like, this is a tough season, man. I just, if I can get to, if I can get to May and finish this school year, I know some of you who are in high school are feeling that. If I can just get this school year over with, Hey, you can do it. You can make it. You can get through that. Some of you, you, you're finishing a job. Or there's a marking point ahead of you. And God's called you to be a good student. God's called you to be a good employee. God's called you in your family relationships to be a good son, daughter, parent. God's called you to be a good roommate. Some of you have roommates. And you cannot wait for the lease to end where you can get a new roommate. You can get there. Because God's called you to be a good roommate. He's called you to be a good friend. The things God calls you to do, he helps you succeed. You're not alone. This is what the Lord wants you to hear today. You're not alone. You, you need to be reminded of this. You've heard it before, but the Spirit of God's telling you this right now. So you can receive this right now, and you can receive the help of the Lord, or you can just say, okay, I know all this stuff. I'm telling you, I'm telling you this stuff, not because you've never heard it before, but because you need to hear it now. You need to hear it in this moment, and your soul needs to hear what's being said. Psalm 91 says it this way, verse, starting with verse 15. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. See those words today, either on your Bible or on the screen right now. I will be with him in trouble. The Lord is with you in trouble. The Lord is, your trouble is when his presence shows up. 
Your trouble is when his presence gets involved. I will rescue him. Isn't that a good word? I like the rescue of the Lord. That's a good thing. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. What a rich scripture. There's so much I, I, I want to say about that, but I want you to believe the word of the Lord over you today. God hears your cry. And, and the reason I want to remind you of this is often God's the last person we talk to when we're in trouble. We talk to everyone else but the Lord when he should be preeminent. So I'm going to really help you today as your pastor. There's something that's bothering you. There's something that's upsetting you that you haven't prayed about. And I'm just telling you right now, you're in God's house in his sanctuary with his presence and you can get the help of the Lord. You can receive the help of the Lord. You can receive the help of the Lord for your life. And he wants you to have the help of the Lord. God's sending your help. He's going to show up in that place. He's going to show up in the place where you're at. He is sending the help of the Lord. All right. I had to check my button because I thought someone was telling me I had a button and button. So sorry about that. I was getting, I was like, that stuff happens up here. Okay. I love the word rescue because the rescue usually means we've done something stupid. Usually, not always, not 100% of the time, but usually we've done something, we've made a mistake. And so the rescue comes and helps us out of our mistake. Some of you need to rely on God as the one who rescues you. Okay, you've made bad financial decisions. Okay, now it's time to make good financial decisions. What's done is done, what ahead is ahead. And the Lord's going to rescue. Begin to start praying over your finances. Begin to start working towards your finances. Begin saying no to something you want to do, an experience you want to have, or, or something you want to purchase. And start saying no to some things and start watching how God does miracles in your finances. Start saving some money. I had a hard time saving money for a long time, so I started putting $5 a week in my savings account. Hey, it helped. Five times 50 means $250 in a year. You can get $250 in your savings account. Start somewhere and then watch what the Lord could do. I want to tell you this is that the Lord's here to rescue you. I talked about one thing. I talk about your finances, but every, I could list 20 different sectors of your, of your life that matter to you. And the Lord is your rescuer. He wants to rescue you. Even if you did something silly, even if you did something that you're embarrassed about, even if you did something that was a sign of a lack of discipline, the Lord is going to rescue you. And why is he going to rescue you? Is he going to rescue you just because he's nice? Well, yeah, he, the kindness of the Lord is good, but he's going to rescue you also to honor you. Look at verse 15. This is amazing. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be him in, with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. The Lord wants to honor you, even if you've been dishonorable, because that's what grace is. Grace is the undeserved favor of God. Grace is the undeserved merit of God upon you. So the Lord does not rescue you out of pity for you. It's an honorable rescue. And that's why he's so wonderful. 
It's an honorable rescue. God's defending your reputation. God's defending your call. God's defending your destiny. And he's not just one who helps you survive. He gives you something that's satisfying. He gives you a satisfying life. That's why I look at verse 16 again. This is good. I will satisfy him with a long life. There's a satisfying life before you through Jesus. Through letting the gospel, the message of Jesus's death and resurrection and his return. Soak into every part of your life. Watch what a satisfying life that you have. A life that helps you overcome adversity. A life that helps you overcome challenges. A life that gives you joy when you're not supposed to have joy. And then what happens is God keeps revealing his salvation to you. Look at 16 one more time. I know I'm doing this a little different. I will show him my salvation. And I want you to hear this, is that we think salvation is just a matter of heaven and hell. But that is not just where God shows his salvation. It's not just the time that you made a decision for Christ. The salvation of the Lord is is breaking into every part of your life. You begin to see the rescue of God, the salvation of God begin to come in every part of your life. This is the empowerment of the Lord that I talked about. You are equipped and empowered. And what is that empowerment? And what is the tools that you need? It's Jesus. So when you get Jesus, you get everything you need. I mean, I suppose that I could, I could write a whole long sermon and teaching, a multi-week sermon about how you're empowered and, and what tools you have and that would be helpful and good. And maybe we'll do that. But it is the presence of the Lord. Is, that is your empowerment. And the presence of the Lord is with you. He's, he's a guide. Uh, he, he's one who is the master. So he's teaching you how to live this life. He, he's with you. He is with you today. We believe, according to scripture and according to my testimony personally, there is a real and tangible presence of the Lord that is with you this very week. And it's for you this very week. Second of all, you are invited. This is point number five as we go over the last two weeks. And I want you to understand that Jesus has an invitation in front of you. And it's not something you're required to to answer. You're not manipulated. You're not tricked. You are simply invited to an incredible life with the Lord. This is why you are enough, because you've been invited to the inner circle with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're not on the outside, you're on the inside. You're not a servant, you're a friend. We function as a servant, but Jesus said, I have called you not a slave, but a friend. You are a friend of God. You have enough because God has brought you in to his family adopted you, and he has made you part of his story and what he's doing. Our all-powerful God, who is all power and holiness and authority, is very hospitable. That's how he invites us. He, He invites us in a warm, welcoming way that we don't deserve, but we get to receive. And the picture of God, God, being mandatory upon us. He's chosen not to be that way. He has chosen to give us free will so that we can choose him. We can choose what is best. So Yahweh was addressing his people who were in exile. 
And, and these people were not in the Holy Land of Zion, which we now call Israel or Jerusalem, but they were in Babylon, which today is in modern-day Iraq. They were taken from their country. Their temple was, was destroyed. Their national symbolism was destroyed. And they were in a land, Babylon, where they were trying to make them un-Jewish. They were trying to, to, to make them part of their culture. And many, many of God's people acclimated to that culture. Many of them worshiped false gods and abandoned. You know, because it's not always easy to worship God when it's not socially beneficial. We, we, we maybe have another 20 years here in Tennessee where it's socially acceptable to be a Christian. Maybe. So, so the test is before us. And, and there's something pure and beautiful before us. When we're part of a marginalized culture, then we get to, we get to find, does it really matter if we worship the Lord? So I, I, when I tell you that, I see opportunity in front of us. And, and this is why Sunday, this is why Sunday worship's important, why small group's important, why getting our kids to Awana and to youth service is more important than, than social activities is because we're discipling them. And, and we're preparing them for a time when in the United States of America will we'll be likely a marginalized society, unless, unless something changes. I mean, just look, at the, just look at the stats. If you understand stats, which most of us don't, I barely understand them. Uh, but uh, I understand them eno- enough to know that, that trends, unless there's a catalyst change, trends change. And we see that, that all over the world, the global south, South America, Africa, Christianity is thriving not so here. So God's doing his work in the globe. As we prepare to be a marginalized society, we, we can relate to our spiritual ancestors who were in Babylon. They, they, were, they were taken out of their land. And so, you know, Lord forbid that happened to us here. But they were taken out of their land. And it's this context now that I want to read to you Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. And you without silver, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without silver and without cost. Here, there's a spiritual need that's identified. And for every spiritual need, there's a spiritual answer. And I, I want you to understand this, is that the Lord will not quench a thirst you don't have. Watch what you hunger for. Watch what you thirst for. Watch what you desire for because it's the thirsty who will be quenched. Their, their thirst will be quenched with the living water. Come to the water. We, all through the scripture, we're going to see a couple of examples today. Water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit and that satisfying connection with God's spirit. And so now we go to verse 2 of Isaiah 55. Why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. This, this is speaking to all the energy we put towards temporal things. And I want you to evaluate 
how much you invest in things that will not last after your life. What's going to really matter when you go into eternity? We, we are so preoccupied with temporal, uh, temporal things that catch our attention. And there will come a day of regret. I believe that's why Jesus will wipe tears from our eyes. Because we will regret probably how much we invested in temporal things. The kingdom of God is the people of God, redeemed by him. That's what will extend into the heavens. And, and I'm calling you this morning to evaluate that and that, to give your life to things that really make a difference, that really make a difference eternally. Why, why do you seek the food that, and spend your wages on that which does not satisfy? Hey, they did it all these years ago. And now here we are, millennium later, several millenniums later. We're the same exact way. Look at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Verse 7. Let the wicked one abandon his ways and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. And look what happens when when we return to the Lord. So that he may have compassion on him and to our God. For he will freely forgive. And I, I want to... Speak this clearly to your heart. Now is your time to seek the Lord. Not tomorrow. Not a future day. Now is your time to seek the Lord. Now is your time to put the Lord first. Now is the time to give your greatest attention to the principles of Jesus and to the kingdom of God and his purposes. Because this is what our future is. Our future is found in the book of Revelation, the parts of it that we understand. Um, and here's a part I understand. Revelation 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride, this is our future, says come. Let anyone who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take water, uh, the water of life freely. We see that thirsty people who are investing in the right things, when we get into heaven, we'll, it will be an extension of the way we've lived here on earth. It won't just be this like new dynamic. It will be an expansion of the dynamic that we already have. And so when we take our last breath in this life, the next breath is in the heavenlies. And we are eternal beings because of what God has done. We are eternal beings moving into the future. And we will hear the Spirit say, come those who are thirsty, come on, drink that water, that water you've been searching for, that water you've been looking for, that water that has, has been the motivation of your life, that has driven you. Come, drink of that. This is our future invitation from the Lord. The Lord said, come. Jesus, he, he, he spoke this in advance of Revelation chapter 22 when he said these words in Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, 
and the burden I give you is light. Do you hear God's invitation today? Do you hear his invitation today? I want, I want us to pray right now. I want us to pray. I want you to position yourself to pray. For some of you, you may want to close your eyes. Some of you, you don't have to close your eyes. Maybe you want to keep your eyes open. That's okay. But, but we're going to go now to a posture of prayer. So, Lord, Lord God, I have felt, felt you as you've guided me in last week's sermon and this week's sermon to remind the people of who they are in you. So, Lord, these scriptures, these scriptures have reminded us of five distinct points that are different yet connected. And so, God, I pray over my friends today. I pray over them, God, the satisfaction that comes from the presence of the Lord. Lord, I pray over them, God, the hope that comes from following you. Lord, I pray over them, God, the that, that they would reprioritize right now. Right now, they would, pre, they would reprioritize. Some of you love vehicles too much and motorcycles too much and things that run, things that have motors. And I'm just going to tell you, the Lord wants you to know you love that too much. It will rust. That vehicle you love, that motorcycle you love is headed towards the junkyard. It's headed towards the junkyard. Come on, why spend on something that takes your heart? Obviously, I, I know pastors, men of God who ride motorcycles, it's not the motorcycle issue. It's not the car issue. I know people who just love they, to wax their car and polish their car as they pray. So it, it, it's... It's not bad in itself. I'm just telling you that if you love it more than the Lord, repent of that. Repent of giving your heart to a sports team. Repent of worshiping a music artist. Some of you freely lift your hands to a country music song or you freely lift your hands to a rock song, but your hands are stiff as rocks in the presence of the Lord and you need to repent of that. That's the wrong priority. You were meant to sing unto the Lord. You weren't meant to sing to your favorite artist. Your worship belongs to him. God is greater than food. The worship of food. The worship of food and the next taste and the next restaurant and the next recipe and the next regional travel spot so we could eat something different. God's better than that. You are not to be dominated by the vine of wine and alcohol. Hey, the days are over about us, us sneaking around and trying to um, pretend like we don't drink. It's, this is not that issue. I'm talking about anything that is an addiction in your life. Man, it's there. We're not staying on this earth. We're not staying in this world. We're mentioned, and our hearts have to get connected to that. And so we will not be ruled by anything that is more preeminent than the greatness of our God. And it is time for us to walk in repentance towards the things that have become idols in our lives. And I don't have to list them for you to know what they are. Come on, the idol of 
children. I want to speak to this. Some of you worship your children and you're ruining your children because you put them in the place that God should be. You know, it, it, it is great to hear like, hey, the kids first, man, kids first. And, and we somehow think that as dads and as moms and, and that, that we're somehow noble because nothing's more important than our kids. I'm going to tell you what's more important than your kids. It's the God who gave you your kids. He is preeminent. And as you put him in, in the, the primary place, the preeminent place, you watch what happens when he takes your kids and empowers them and leads them because they're not little idols for you to worship and to make you feel better about who you are. They are gifts that God gave you and you're giving them back to him. There's an idol. Marriage can become an idol that some of you feel like you're not a complete person because you're not married or that because you went through a divorce or because your marriage doesn't seem as good as someone else's marriage you're comparing yourself to. You don't really know the details of their marriage, but boy, they sure look cute on social media. And so this, this uh, thirst for a marriage that is deep and satisfying is replacing your thirst for the Lord. It's replacing this thirst for the Lord. And marriage is a prototype of our relationship with the Lord, but it's not a replacement for our relationship with the Lord. Marriage is a model, but it's not the end game. I'm telling you, we as the church are going to marry Jesus as his bride when we go to heaven. And that's what marriage is pointing us towards. It is not the end. It's the means to an end. So that... That which we idolize us crumbles in the presence of God. So if you have an idol that you love so much, watch that idol. It will crumble compared to the greatness of our God. So, Father, we put you first. We put you first. Come on, let's do that right now. Right where you're sitting, would you just get, begin to give everything to the Lord right now? Come on, the Lord's speaking to you right now. He's speaking to you. I don't have to list it for you to know it. You know what's at a higher place than the Lord. You know what's more important to the Lord. But Lord, we set our will right now. That Lord, you are first. Lord, there is no one greater than you. There is no one better than you. God, thank you. You're raising up a people who is looking towards the future looking towards that heavenly place, looking for the next dimension. And Lord, we're not going to spend money on things that don't matter. Lord, we're going to drink of the presence of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord and everything great you have for us. That is what we're looking for. And that's what we believe we'll receive. And we thank you for that. I want you to set your will right now. This is the call to repentance right now. Right now, the call to repentance is happening. And you know what's more important to the Lord than the Lord right now in your heart. And it changes right now. You're going to change your mind about that. And now you're going to change your, your heart. The Lord's going to change your heart because you've changed your mind and he's going to change that behavior. Father, we thank you, Lord, that the spirit of repentance is here within us, God. And it's taking us, it's taking us to better places in you. And we thank you and we praise you for that in Jesus' name. I want to invite our children to join us in uh, to our service because we have in this service... Uh, one person who's being baptized in water, uh, but uh, we like to let the kids come in to um, 
participate because it's the entire body of Christ that participates in water baptism. And one of the ways you participate is not just by supporting this one who's being baptized. And as Pastor Josh called us to do earlier, we will support uh, this person with our applause and with our cheer and with our love. But also here in a couple of moments, all of us will recite the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is something our children say often at church, often at Awana. They sing that. I was with them about a month ago when they sang the Apostles' Creed together, and it was great. And it is a summary of biblical doctrine and historic doctrine that God's people have believed in all places at all times. And so a form of the Apostles' Creed has been around since, really since Jesus ascended into heaven. And for our earliest historical documents have a form of the Apostles' Creed. And so when this baptism happens today in the, in the next service, it's not just a cultural moment here in the Southeast of the United States of America. It is the joining of the church worldwide, all believers who currently believe in Jesus Christ, and then all believers who believed in Jesus Christ uh, since he ascended to heaven. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of that. And so I want us all to say the Apostles' Creed together. And as you say it, you will be reaffirming your baptism. Think about when you were baptized. And when you were baptized, you were baptized into something very specific. And it is a summary of this in the Apostles' Creed. Can we say this together? We believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.